welcome to episode 115 of the Pack Heavy Podcast. My name is Hayden Thompson, and today Jennifer Henry, who is the founder and CEO of Perkigo, is on to have a really good chat about the current state and the pros and cons of our recycling and composting systems that we have here in BC and Canada in general. Uh, we also touch on the inspiration behind Jen's business, Perkigo, and the unique business model that she's deployed, along with Jennifer's personal journey as an entrepreneur and leader in this sustainability space. Now, for those of you who are new to the show, thanks again for taking the time to drop in. Uh, the best place to start when I introduce myself on here is to first let you know that as well as chatting with entrepreneurs on this show, I also work for a packaging company located here in BC called Food Pack, where we help food-based CBG companies and food processors with their packaging and food packaging equipment. Now, we have three pretty specific areas that we focus on at Food Pack, and the first is stock bags, which you could think of as a bit of a turnkey solution to getting to market. The second is custom printed bags and films, and the third is what brings it all together, being our packaging equipment. Uh, we have a showroom full of this equipment um, with a wide range of Cipramac vacuum chamber machines, plex pack band sealers and repack tray sealers and thermoformers. And I guess the other thing that sets us apart at Food Pack is our tech and service team that keeps it all running for our clients. So if you're looking to get into the market for the first time with some packaging for your food, or would like me to assess your existing packaging program, definitely head on down into the show notes, click on the Food Pack website, and uh, you'll be able to dig into what we offer with a little bit more detail. And then if that ticks all of the boxes, definitely get in touch with me directly by emailing me at hayden at thepackofyourpodcast.com. And uh, yeah, we can go from there. All right, that's it from me today. Let's get into it. Episode 115 with Jennifer Henry. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, you and I spoke on the phone a couple of weeks ago in um, in anticipation for this uh, podcast chat, but we got into quite a bit of detail on the phone um, about not only you know what you specialize in, but also the business that you've got started called Perk Eco. So I'd love to dig into all of that with you today. And uh, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, I'm happy to dig into the topic with you. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot... Um, going on. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity to make to divert waste from landfill, uh, but it has to be done the right way. So yeah, I'm, I'm I, I love to chat about it. So thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, over the last year and a half that I've had the show on, um, on air, I've interviewed a few people specifically on recyclability and what that means of flexible plastics. I had Kelly Williams from nature flex, Bruce Wallinger from the Pacific seaweed industry association, who's just, uh, He's a gem. I don't know if you know Bruce. And then uh, also Colin Isaacs. Um, he's a specialist over in Ontario. But you're the first person that I've managed to get a hold of in the BC market, which is awesome. And I've got to say, it's really hard to talk to people in this world. So thanks again for the opportunity because um, you and I both know the value of transparency and educating everybody out there. And there is a lot of mistruths or I don't know if it's sort of like a... Um, information is being hidden from people as to what the reality is on flexible packaging or whether it's just not focused on, I don't know, what's your opinion there? Mm -hmm. um, it's to me, it's a regional problem. Um, and what I mean by that is recycling is always, as you see on the bottom of every little, you know, recyclable printed package, recycling is always where facilities exist. Mm -hmm. And so because different facilities in terms of processors, waste processors and composters, because different facilities exist in different regions, each region has its own list of accepted materials that it will, that the, the processors there want. And 
the, the list is a little bit different as well for each hauler. So each waste hauler is different from that processor. Mm. So there might be waste hauler A that will haul the waste over to processors B, C, and D. Mm -hmm. uh, and waste hauler B might only take them to um, E and F. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's this, it's this like really maze-like um, network of logistics that needs to happen, that's different from region to region that confuses people when they're at the bin. So mm -hmm. they've got this product, you know, they've got this flexible, um, you know, piece of packaging or, you know, a coffee cup or whatever it is that they have in their hand. It's, it's at the end of its useful life for them. They're standing in front of a set of bins. They have to decide which one it goes into and it's different everywhere. Mm -hmm. So there's this kind of like deer in the headlights moment where if you're not at home with your own, you know, recycling system that you're familiar with, you're kind of, or you're at home and you have this new piece of packaging that you're like, okay, I'm going to be seeing this for a while now because I've just started purchasing this product. Mm -hmm. Where does this go? Mm -hmm. So there, there's that moment uh, at the bin of like um, sometimes confusion and sometimes clarity. If your regional recycling infrastructure and labeling aligns with the piece of packaging that you have in your hand, it's a super easy split second decision. Mm -hmm. You just immediately go, okay, this thing says number two plastic. And I know where to put that because my bin tells me or my, my bin labels tell me. Um, but if you've got a thing that has a label that on it that doesn't, it's not explicitly stated um, on your recycling system that's available to you, whether you're yeah. out and about or whether you're at home, that's a confusing moment right there. Mm. It's a missed opportunity to get that waste stream from the end of its useful life at the consumer to the processor who wants it and can process it and can either upcycle, downcycle, or put it into the circular economy. Mm -hmm. So that moment and that confusion at the bin, that's where I think there's an opportunity because we have processors that want flexible packaging. Mm -hmm. we, they want them. We just have to make sure that the consumer has the opportunity to get it to them. Yeah. You know, I think the issue with a lot of consumers is they will see the, you know, the recycling triangle logo and automatically think it can be recycled. I'm going to put it in my blue bin at home, but yeah. that's not a recycling logo. That's a resin code. And each of those little resin codes, all of those numbers that are associated inside of that triangle actually mean something. And I think that's obviously where the issue lies. Like a number seven resin code is a bit of a catch-all yeah. for everything else. So, you know, from a consumer standpoint, it is extremely confusing. So, you know, like you just suggested, it's about labeling and understanding what infrastructure is in place locally. But at the end of the day, there also needs to be an alignment with, you know, the CPG companies. If you're thinking about the people that are listening to this podcast, you know, they're consumers, but they're also business owners and operators of CPG products. And they're putting their package or their product into a flexible package or a rigid plastic. And they're trying to think through the issue of everybody wants to make the right choice of their business and everybody wants to make the right choice for their environment. And hopefully those two things can align because 
you know, the reality is, is that, yeah, compostable packaging sounds really good in theory, for example, but there isn't a place for it to go, number one. And number two, compostable packaging isn't necessarily uh, something that can, um, that is conducive to packaging up all a whole different variety of products, like, you know, uh, products that have got moisture or oil content or something like that. It's really good for rice or coffee, but nothing else. So, you know, when it comes to composting, are you sort of seeing similar issues there? Um. <sighs> compostables single use compostables all of the packaging the pla line stuff mm. the anything that's a you know um bpi certified there's all these you know certifications you can get any of this packaging certified or non if it says compostable on it um it's such an unfortunate thing it's a compostable packaging is in this bumbling fumbling teenager stage right now i feel like mm. So you've got all these producers that are making this stuff from renewable resources. There's a big win there on mm -hmm. the upstream, on the production end of it. Huge win. They're not using, you know, finite resources to make a single-use product. So big win there on the downstream end of it, on the um, the, the end of life. Holy smokes, is it complex? Mm. Um, and and it's really difficult right now. And I don't know if it's going to make it through to a really seamless, streamlined um, system. The reason being is that commercial composters really don't want this stuff. They have it come into their system. They're, you know, they've got their facility. It comes in on the trucks and it comes in sometimes you know, in nice tidy bags of, you know, it's all a bunch of compostable packaging comes from like, a, you know, a, a, you know, a coffee shop that's mindfully mm. sorting their things, for mm -hmm. example, um, or it comes in and it's combined with food waste. Um, and so they have to assess, A, do we want this stuff? B, is it actually the compostable stuff? Or is it mixed in with some stuff that looks mm -hmm. like the compostables, but isn't? And that mm -hmm. happens a lot. Um, or uh, do we not want this stuff at all? Um, and what they end up doing is generally speaking, I can't speak for all composters, but most of these facilities end up making a decision somewhere in the middle. They know that it's gonna degrade the final quality of their compost. They know that it's going to complicate their process because a lot of it takes a longer time in the compost pile in their, in their facility to actually break down to the point where it becomes soil. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so it takes longer. It's a little bit, it's harder to identify um, which ones are compostable and which ones aren't. Um, and so it just messes up their, their nice streamlined process that create that if there were only food waste and organics in there, that would create a beautiful, rich, high grade, sellable, saleable, like valuable on the market compost product at the end of its life. If they introduce all of this single use packaging in there, it degrades the final quality of the compost. Mm. And so they're like, mm, we don't want it. Um, but they will accept a little bit of it. They, they know their stuff. They, that's their business. They know compost. They know how much of the, these materials that they can let in before it starts to degrade the final quality of their compost. Right. So all of this compostable stuff, yes, it can be composted, you know, if it's got that stamp on it. Um, but do the composters want it? Not really. They're they're mm. they're letting about ten percent of it into their facility, right. and the rest is being landfilled. So, word is getting out about this. People are hearing it, and people are yep. going, "Oh, well, you can put the compostables in, but it's just going to get landfilled anyways." And you know, ten percent of it will make. It's not entirely true. 
So it's not like there are bad actors that are, it's not like the waste haulers are picking this stuff and throwing it in the land. Dumping it in. Yeah. 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 It's not, it's not a case of that. It's a, it's a case of composters knowing what they're doing and doing the best they can to allow in as much as they can of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But words getting back, words getting out there. Consumers are hearing that compostables aren't compostable. Coffee shops are hearing from their waste haulers that no, 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 no. You, you know, you've spent all this money on your compostables. I understand that, you know, you're trying to do the green thing here. This is a good intention. Um, but at the end of the day, your waste hauler is going to go, my composter doesn't want that. So I'm not taking it. And yeah. he's going to say, no, I don't want it. And then yeah. the coffee shop owner is left going, what the, I, I tried to do the right thing here. I purchased I'm paying a premium for this. Yeah, yeah. I'm paying a yeah. premium and my customers like it. Um, you know, my baristas feel proud that they're serving on compostables. There's all these good things on the purchasing end of it and the perception end of it. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, but that at the end of its life, they're left with the, you know, many of the waste haulers, not all of them, many of the waste haulers going, we don't want that because our composters are telling us it's not a desirable material for their, mm. uh, for their facility. So that's why I say it's a bumbling teenager. It's kind of growing into what it's going to be. And it's at a stage right now where where Clean BC is looking at banning these materials. So we'll have a provincial, it's looking like it's likely that we're going to have a provincial ban on compostable single-use packaging mm-hmm. because our processors here in BC are just like, get this stuff out of our streams. We don't want this. This is a mess. We can't deal with the, the volume of this that's coming in. Mm. There are a couple of exceptions. There are some really good innovators out there, especially here in BC, who are are doing great things with some really emerging technologies and some established technologies in 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 the realm of bio, um, uh, you know, or, organic, um, like a biodigester kind of thing. Exactly, anaerobic yep. digester. I always yep. hate using these terms because it doesn't have meaning to people. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Anyways, putting these materials into an anaerobic digester and yep. then getting them to the composters. Yeah. Uh, recycling alternative is a really great one. She's got the you know uh, they've got the terraforma machine that they can mm-hmm. put their compostables into. When we come into those, that's where we send them. Uh, to make sure they're getting digested before they go to composters. Yeah. But I don't think that, that that hasn't scaled. Not everybody has an anaerobic digester on site or mm. uses a waste hauler who has those. So that's where it's awkward in its phase right now, where it's like the materials aren't getting to their proper end of life use. And mm-hmm. so our you know provincial um, bodies that govern these things are looking at, at banning them, banning the mm-hmm. sale of them. Okay, no worries. So one of the big questions that we always get from clients when they're sort of fielding all of the ideas and possibilities out there for their packaging is if I do get compostable packaging and there isn't necessarily an end-of-life system in place that's going to accept it like you just discussed and it goes into the landfill, what happens with it? Does it just Mm -hmm. sit there and degrade or does it actually compost down or does it mummify or what happens to it? It produces methane. Yeah, yep. Just like a food product. Just like it's an organic material. Yeah. It was a food yep. product, you know, any organic material, when you put mm-hmm. it in the landfill, it's not getting light. It's not getting yep. air. It's, it's doesn't, you know, it doesn't have all of the ingredients that it needs, the microbes and everything to break down. Yeah. Uh, so it's in a bag, no light, no air, no mm-hmm. microbial activity in the landfill. It's going to do what every single other organic material does in the landfill. It's going to create methane. Got it. Okay. No worries. So there's a lot in that we just discussed just then, but I think we should just back up for a second because looking at your um, credentials here, you went to the University of Cambridge and you studied um, sustainability studies and you're also a master recycler in Vancouver um, and you studied environmental studies there. 
what sort of led you down this path? Like, did you identify from a young age that this is something that, you know, was hugely meaningful and you, you could potentially make an impact and, you know, sort of what led you down in this direction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was a combination of um, education and, and family mindset. So um, when I was in elementary school as a very young child, we had this amazing group who that, that I uh, this is where I took my master recycler course called SPEC. Mm-hmm. SPEC is the Society for Promoting Environmental Conservation. It is Canada's oldest environmental nonprofit. They run the master recycler program and they run lots of, um, they, they're, they're, they are where Recycle BC was born way back in the day in, I believe, 1976. Okay. So it started as this little, you know, it's a group of grassroots individuals that went, one man went, uh, SPEC sent one of their members to Earth Day uh, an Earth Day event in Victoria. And he came back and said, hey, there's people that are recycling cardboard. We can collect this stuff. And so he set up a little depot here in Maple Ridge um, and started driving around, bought a van, bought a dilapidated van off the back of someone's lot and started driving around and collecting, uh, asking residents to put their, their, uh, their cardboard out on the curb and collecting it. Uh, and that was the, the the very early stages of, you know, Recycle BC depots. And so SPEC went on to create um, a network of uh, recycling depots, collecting cardboard and other and newspapers and other recyclable, recyclable items. And they started in the 80s doing education. So they had uh, this project going on and they started doing this education and sending out um, members to the elementary schools. And that was me. I was a student sitting in that class, learning about recycling. And mm-hmm. it just stuck because every single year growing up in Maple Ridge, someone from SPEC, which eventually became Recycle BC, which is the you know amazing, amazing entity that we know today that's responsible for our curbside program. Yep. It is so comprehensive here in BC. Mm-hmm. We are very fortunate to have it. Um, and so that education, every single year, having someone come in from the Recycling Society and say, here's what you can recycle. Oh, look, now we can do more. Oh, look, now we can do more. It was ingrained in me from a really early age that um, you just reduce your, 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 your garbage can as much as you can. Um, and then from there, um, working in an industry that is just incredibly wasteful, I became a hairdresser. Mm. So much waste, so much unrecyclable, contaminated with chemicals, all of this mm. waste. And human hair, really difficult waste streams. And so um, because of my just, you know, childhood embedded interest in recycling, thanks to the work of Spec and Recycle BC, um, I, I just was working in this industry and was like, wow, this is, this is a problem. There's this really specific waste stream that's just, it's prolific. It's, there's so much volume here. Um, and a company came along that it's called green circle salons. I worked for them for a number of years, number of years, and they presented a recycling solution specific for that waste stream. And I immediately latched onto it and was like, this is, this is amazing. They, they've dealt with a problem that I've recognized for years. Um, why don't we do this for other industries? There are other, other people in other industries who are working in specific industries and who are going, I have a waste stream here that no one is solving for. Mm-hmm. Um, and each industry has its own waste stream mm-hmm. and so there needs to be someone doing the work to make sure that the solutions exist to get that waste from the end of its useful consumer life to the processor who wants it. 
So that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the you know condensed evolution of yeah my, the nuts and bolts yeah. of it. Yeah, the education came in just because I I needed the you know the you know the paper behind me to say this girl knows what she's doing, and so I just wanted to seek out the education that actually gave me the, the you know the more formal education. Yeah. Yeah. To, to say, you know, here, here's someone who's actually knows what they're doing in the recycling industry. But yeah, it was from a very early age. It was just ingrained in me. Yeah. Right. And then I guess there was a lot between, you know, that point in your life and the development of Perk Eco, but it sounds like it's very, very much tied in, in that you develop Perk Eco specifically, essentially for the, the cafe industry, because like, you know, the cafe industry has a lot of um, identifiable recyclable materials, whether it's a coffee cup or napkins or, you know, you name it. And so, you know, how did you start to flesh that idea out? Yeah, it, it really came from um, having access to recycling coffee cups in my curbside bin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would, I would, you know, as a as a as a lower mainlander living in Metro Vancouver, I just see them adding on materials all the time into my curbside program, and mm-hmm. I'm just accustomed to it. I take it for granted. I go, oh wow, we're we're putting cups in there now. This is great. Um, but what I saw as I was traveling for work around North America was that cup recycling is accessible almost nowhere else. We're so fortunate here to have access to recycling so many of our materials. Mm-hmm. Um, it just wasn't available anywhere else. And also on top of that, also wasn't available commercially, even here in, in BC uh, to a lot of coffee shops. Landlords are typically responsible for selecting you know, the waste management. The, uh, so the coffee shop pays for their lease and their garbage and recycling fees are lumped into that. And then, you know, they have their recyclable cups that they've so carefully purchased or compostable cups. And then they go out to the bin and their landlord is provided and they're like, oh, can't put it in there. Can't, can't put it in there. Yeah. I'm not allowed. What do I do? So I, I built Perkiko because I knew that coffee, I, I did the research and realized that there are 58 billion coffee cups that go to landfill every single year. 58, yeah. or sorry, 82 million annually in Vancouver. Got it. 58 billion annually worldwide. That's insane. It's nuts. It's such a huge waste stream. And we have processors who want them. Mm -hmm. If you can get the cups to them and they're not a gross mess, Mm -hmm. no recycling processor or no waste hauler wants a bag with a puddle of coffee in the bottom. And that's what coffee shops have to offer. And I was like, we have to solve this problem somehow. And it's not rocket science. It just takes someone, one person, you know, with the right intention and the right idea and the right research behind them to focus on what's the solution and then offer it to the coffee shops. So that's what Perk Eco is. And that was you. Mm-hmm. And how's it going? It's going good. Yeah. <laughs> um, good. <laughs> I, despite the, the, despite our April, 2020 launch, yes. which is as coffee shops were closing. Yeah. I, I was going to say you, you um, launched kind of at a crazy time. It was the worst time. Yeah. I could not yeah. have launched at the worst time. I so I, I, I essentially, we, we had this roster of beta testers. So I mm-hmm. built the Perk Eco program and I reached out to all these coffee shops that were very willing to beta test the program with me and work out the kinks. That's cool. Because we ship the waste via UPS, carbon offset courier, mm-hmm. and we bring it from any zip or postal code to our uh, hand sorting facility here in Coquitlam. Yep. And so I was like, there are going to be some logistical kinks here. We need people who are willing to, you know, beta test this with us. And so we launch, um, as coffee shops were closing and one by one, our beta testers are like, 
have to be closed. I have no waste. I have no yeah. waste. I have no yeah. waste. I'm closed. I'm closed. I'm closed. <laughs> like, okay, I guess we're on pause for a little while here. Yeah. Uh, so we moved into waste innovation mode. We did some pretty cool things in the circular economy, creating some new circular economy products from coffee roaster waste. That's a whole other story. Uh, but sticking to like the evolution of Perkiko, we've been around for, th- for, for three years now. We weathered the pandemic mm. uh, barely. Um, and we were able to, we've been able to really slowly, like month by month, add another coffee shop, another coffee shop another coffee shop. It really has been just so slow and incremental. It's been one by one, but the nice thing is, is they've all stuck with us and it's been growth. And, you know, as a company in the pandemic, seeing growth, even though it's really too slow, no, it's not what we had anticipated. It's not what we are built for. We're built for high volumes of waste. (laughs) Um, we, I'm, I'm grateful. We've made it through our Coffee shops are um, fantastic supporters, um, and they they the program works. They've shown us time and again the product product the program works because they keep referring, you know, their fellow coffee shop owners and baristas to us, and we keep growing little tiny bit every single month. So Word good. of mouth means everything. That's cool. So you're not actively, you know, marketing the business or the product. You're just out there knocking on doors and letting word of mouth sort of spread the idea. You betcha. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I can imagine, and I was sort of like, um, you led me down this road the other day when we we're on the phone that now that you've built out the infrastructure, you can sort of branch into other industries as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely. cool. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. what else are you focusing on apart from cafes or is that sort of still your primary focus and you're still waiting to flesh that out further before you do focus on other industries or? That is still very much our primary focus. We want yeah. to build it um, and get more volume of waste coming in, coming mm-hmm. through. Um, but the next one that's in my sights is the airline industry and it's in-flight waste. Got it. Yeah. 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 There is a huge abundance of packaging. I can only imagine like when they, you know, when a flight is unloaded, the amount of volume of waste that would come off that plane as well would be insane. It is insane. And it's all highly recyclable stuff, Yeah, cool. um, especially all the cans and uh, bottles and the little plastic cups. Yeah. But um, they are at the mercy of which recycling facilities are at the airport that they offboard that stuff. Yeah. Into. Yeah. 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 It's such a, um, it's such a, a funny, like there's so much minutia to it all, you know, um, if we circled back to the consumer at home and their blue bins, you were saying that like, we're really, really lucky here in BC with, you know, the offering of products that can, or materials that can be recycled. But what happens if somebody puts something in their blue bin that can't be recycled or, you know, it can't be collected? Like, does it end up going to a sorting facility and getting thrown into the regular waste stream or, you know, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Again, it's super regional. So each mm. each area um, has different sorting uh, mechanisms in place. So um, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them in Recycle BC in the depots that you see are really there's a lot of manual sortation, yeah. which is great. Yeah, we we want to continue with that because um, making sure that the you know the undesirable materials that the processors don't want. Mm are pulled out in the very early stages. That's the goal. Yeah. Um, and while there is machinery that can do that very effectively, it has limitations. You know, mm-hmm. there are laser sorters, there are, you know, facilities called uh, MRFs, material recovery facilities. Um, and they use all sorts of technology, mm-hmm. lasers and flotation and, and um, um, sensors to, you know, get, get rid of all the material that's not desired and just cherry pick the good stuff. Yeah. Um, but those facilities have, you know, there's a lot of waste coming out of it that, that, the, that 
the human eye um, can can establish what to do with it, but the machine can't. So while it's highly efficient, um, I think there's more opportunity for waste reduction landfill uh, and, and landfill diversion with human hands in the process. Mm. That's why we hand sort. So yeah, when when something does go to Recycle BC, um, when it is picked up curbside, it, it you know it has that human touch in it, mm. um, and generally will get fished out in the really early stages. Got it. Um, yeah, and and will be landfilled. Yeah, that's crazy. Um... Where do you think this is all heading? Like, what does the future look like here? I can imagine it's only going to get better and better, but at the mm-hmm. same time, like, what kind of timelines are we working with for improved systems, improved, you know, sorting facilities, improved and new infrastructure to support these new materials that we're all seeing? Like, what kind of timelines are we looking at here? It's too slow. It's mm. too slow. Um, all the speed that the pace that we're moving at in terms of landfill, uh, landfill diversion, diverting materials from landfill is too slow. And we know that because our Vancouver landfill is forecasted to be full by 2037. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Then what? Exactly. Then what? Mm. So there's all these, there are all these amazing projects. Spec runs some of them. Um, there's Clean BC, Foresight Canada, uh, Share Use, the Share Reuse and Repair Initiative. And I could go on and on. There are so many amazing proje- um, projects out there who are all working to coach um, anybody who produces waste, whether mm. you're in the industrial, commercial, institutional, retail, um, you know, residential, uh, working on all these programs to address <clears throat> things like textile waste, the textile lab for circularity, which is a project of spec, um, is coaching uh, all of the, uh, the textile producers in BC how to create a product that has an has a good end of life solution mm. and how to make sure that that solution actually happens and is available at the mm. end of its life. So all of these projects that are happening, um, they're important. There need to be more of them. I wish there were more federal funding for mm. these projects. They all need to keep going uh, and grow um, because we really need to do, we really need to address waste stream by stream. We need to design it out. We need to make more durable products so that we don't need to throw them out at the end so that they're not single use. Mm. We need to encourage reusables. Cody at Sharewares, for example. I was going to mention Cody. I had him on the show as well. It was a great chat. Oh, yeah. God. It, that, that, that's the type of thing that needs to grow mm. exponentially. We need, um, we, need to, we need to move, shift to reusables. Single use, we can't continue with this single use mindset. We can't keep facilitating the, the, um, the, you know, that you're the, the mindset with your, with the average consumer, that this is an acceptable behavior because it's not, yes, I have a solution for single use cups and compostable, you know, um, packaging and, and, and flexible packaging. And, but really, um, there's so much waste. Um, if we reduce it by 95%, I still have a viable business at Perkico. <laughs> so mm. I want to see that reduction. I want to see everybody shift towards renewables or sorry, reusables, because if, if, if we don't, the consequences are dire. We don't, we don't have, we, we can't keep filling up our landfills. It's, it's, it's a horrific, horrific end of life solution for our single use products. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Like when you do project into the future, like I have a really optimistic outlook on life and, you know, the future that we're creating for our kids and so on. I know there's so much doom and gloom out there and, you know, so much divisiveness and bullshit that we're all dealing with in this world right now. You know, whether we look at, um, you know, the state of the economy, the state of politics, 
you know, our education system, the impact of social media, our environmental sort of impact that we've got. Like you could look at our food systems. Like there's so much that we could focus on that can bring us down every single day. And I've had to stop listening to some podcasts because it's just getting me down. So I'm really just trying to focus on the day-to-day, how to, (laughs) you know, create a positive impact on my kids' lives. And, you know, I I am hopeful for the future that we'll be able to find our way through this and and that we are going to make our way through it. I know that we will. We're extremely resourceful as humans. We've made it this far and we we will make it further down the line unless ChatGBT takes over. But um, (laughs) have you played with that at all? Have you played with ChatGPT? It's on my list of to do because I, do it. I feel like I'm losing out by not knowing what's going on. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, we got it to write a poem for Valentine's Day for one of my colleagues at work today, and it was outstanding. It was it just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, it's really scary. But anyway, yeah, I think it's really important to keep optimistic and uh, keep finding solutions to our problems, just like you have with Perk Eco. So yeah, congratulations on all of your success there, and I hope that that keeps on, you know, progressing at the rate um, that you'd like to see it growing at. Um, I guess one other question that I had for you about, you know, the end of life systems that are in place for packaging in general. So we could be talking about, you know, uh, food packaging or any CPG product um, that needs to be packaged up. I think when you're a business owner, you do a bit of an analysis of what possibilities there are for your product, uh, how the product is going to be presented on the retail shelf, how you want your consumers to interact with the product. And then you also look at the end of life systems that are in place. Mm -hmm. And then of course, cost comes into it as well, availability of the product. But when you do an actual life cycle evaluation of a product, what you think may be a great solution may not actually be the best solution. So what are the sort of the most, when you do a a life cycle analysis, like what kinds of packaging comes out on top? Is that a a tough question to ask or answer? Um, Yeah, because of, um, again, (laughs) regionality. Yeah. Um, You know, where the where the material comes from to to make a product, yeah. where it's sourced, how far it has to travel to get to you is yeah. such a massive part of that equation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know you can have the most sustainable compostable product, you know, out there, or you know, mm. highly recyclable, or even products that are, are reusable and built to go back in the circular. Like a economy. glass jar kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Like I think of glass, right? And glass sounds awesome because you can reuse it multiple times. There is an end of life system in place, mm-hmm. but from what I understand, the volume of energy required to produce it, to recycle it, to transport it because of its weight, yeah. it just uh, it knocks it down a few pegs on the yeah. whole sort of analysis. Yeah. So yeah, that's sort of one that comes to mind. So, you know, yeah. glass wouldn't be top ranking. So what kind of products are top ranking? Because it's infinitely recyclable. I really like aluminum. Okay. And it's light. Uh, because, yeah. And it's light. I don't yeah. like that it's mined and that it's non-renewable. Yeah. Um, but once you do get it into the circular or into the economy, it, it I, I don't want to use the word circular for it because uh, I reserve that word. I hold that word high and holy and the, the waste infrastructure mm-hmm. um, and aluminum is um, it still does end up in, in, in the landfill, but I, I, I like to highlight it because it does have um, a really, you know, it's a commodity. Mm. Generally speaking, if someone can along its journey to the landfill, you know, pull it out and make sure it gets to recycling, it has value. There are pro- processors will pay for it. You know, 
you know, even the dirtiest aluminum could be sold for like four cents a pound. Wow. Um, and so because of that value, because there are processors worldwide that want it, um, it's, and because it, it doesn't degrade each time you put it through a recycling process, um, I really like it. It's a highly, highly, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a highly recyclable material that has value and existing end of life solutions. So for that reason, it's, it's a favorite for sure. That's awesome. What did we miss from this conversation? That's important for everybody to hear. Um, yeah, I think the, the main thing is just, um, the main thing that I want to point out is, is recyclability and compostability and, and desired end of life solutions that are, that are on single use packaging. Um, you can't take them at, at face value. Mm. Um, unfortunately, um, even when the pro producers of those materials go to really, um, you know, great lengths to make sure that the instructions are on there and that the materials are responsibly sourced and, and, and made recyclable. Um, it's really the consumer, the consumer's responsibility to make sure that that material goes to the right place. And they can't do that unless they have the infrastructure in place to do it. So, you know, making that trip to the depot, um, finding innovative companies like Perkiko and so many other um, you know, innovators out there who want those materials um, is important. I want I want people to pay attention to the innovators in the space um, and support them mm. um, because these are the solutions that when people latch onto them, that these are the solutions that scale. Recycling, just back going, looking back to the project at spec, recycling used to be an oddity. It used to be a weird thing and an inconvenience. Look mm -hmm. at it now. That's mm. because people... Um, were mindful and sorted their materials and made sure that they got to the right end of life solution. And we just need to scale more of the solutions that are in their very infant stages right now. That's perfect. Um, are there any great resources out there that you'd point people to websites, books, uh, any PDFs that people can download um, that would help people along on this journey? Drawdown. Mm -hmm. Drawdown. Paul Hawkins, Drawdown. Okay. Is that a book? Yeah, it's, it is a book. So it's okay. not, uh, it's not waste reduction specific, although that's a part of it, but yep. in the general climate action space, I always like to make sure that as many people know about this as possible. Drawdown is a book by Paul Hawkins, uh, Paul Hawkins, and uh, he's an amazing author. Uh, Ecology of Commerce is one he also wrote. Um, and um, Drawdown is a list of the 100 most impactful climate uh, solutions to keep us below 1.5 degrees. Okay. Um, and I like to make sure that everybody knows it's out there so they can pick one of those solutions and make it their work to, to move it forward. Beautiful. I'll put that link down in the show notes for everybody to uh, scroll down and check out. Listen, Jennifer, thank you so much for your time today. That was a great conversation and I really appreciate you taking the time to sort of walk us all through the minutiae of this, mm -hmm. um, of this world that we live in and, uh, help us, you know, make some informed and better choices for our businesses and so on. So yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. No worries. If anybody wanted to get in touch with you specifically, what's the best way for them to go about it? Yeah, my email is jen, J-E-N, at perk.eco, P-E-R-K dot E-C-O. Awesome. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Thank you. All right. So that's it for episode 115 today with Jennifer. 
There was a lot in that one and I hope you got a lot out of it too. And if you have any questions or comments from today's episode, the best place to go is to LinkedIn where I post up each week's episode on my profile. Just scroll on down into the show notes and you'll find everything that you could possibly need right there. Uh, Okay, thanks again for listening in. I'll see you back here next week for episode 116 with Ben DeGross, who you will find on YouTube as the Vancouver Carpenter. Um, We dig right into his um, YouTube channel and how he built it and yeah, what it's turned into. So definitely worth tuning into that one. All right, thanks a lot. Bye.